Good morning, everyone. Thank you. I, uh, oh, I'm really glad you guys are sitting here. Thank you. I, you know, you start to think that I take a good enough shower, and you know, these front rows are always empty a little bit. Makes me worry. You may notice some odd things in the auditorium, like those sails over there. Yeah, in a few weeks, I'll be preaching from the bowsprit of a ship in here because our school is doing a play, Peter Pan. And, uh, and if I'm lucky, they'll keep all the rigging in place so I can like demonstrate my spiritual authority by walking on water out there and in the baptistry or something and being elevated. They're going to try to figure out how to fly. I'm not sure how it's going to go, but yeah, oh, I heard that. No, we've got good men on it, good people on it, so should be good. Um, Good worship this morning, good songs, right? And um, I was thinking about, so I, I think I'm reverberating, I'm too loud, right? Too loud. That's what my wife says to me, too loud. Yeah, it's my only hope, what can I, how else am I going to keep my job, you know? It's, like, it's her fault. Now, I was thinking when Pastor Tim was talking about the, uh, the drama of today, the, the, uh, the, the deep challenge of sleep deprivation, which we don't want to even go talking about. Why do we do this still? It's in the paper today. We really shouldn't. It's actually harmful, but that's another subject. Um, I was thinking about the Starbucks drama and then uh, your wife's Technique. I wonder, does she wear pointy shoes or round-ended shoes when she... My wife finds the pointiest ones, and I'm only kidding. Not at all. Our, 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 uh, our partners, God's given us for a reason, and it's a blessing. It really is. So, today we are in... If you're visiting and you're saying, uh, where am I? <laughs> Harmony... Ministries, we're glad that you're here. And um, we've been going through a series in the book of Hebrews, which is not a very commonly unpacked book. And today we come to one of the hardest passages in the entire Bible, to be honest. So because of that, I've had a number of thoughts. And so if you want to turn with me, it's in your the black book in the seat in front of you. If you don't have your own Bible, you can turn to the book of Hebrews page 1199, and if you have your own Bible, you know your way around it anyway, so you don't need me to coach you, but Hebrews chapter 6. Last week, we looked at the opening, and um, the reason that my title today is Fire and Brimstone is because a passage like this elicits that kind of thinking. Immediately, and you'll see as we read it how it does. So, the whole point of Hebrews is, uh, and I've titled the thing, uh, by the way, before I get started, every elder in the room needs to talk to me at the end of the service. I just thought I'd throw that out to scare everybody. <laughs> What's going on? No, I just need to talk to you, okay? And you're here and I'm here, so please come up and chat with me. I'd appreciate that. And I wanted to say, um, they're doing a great job. The, the, the gal that's leading is just awesome. And um, Sandy, uh, 
O'Hare Bergen, and uh, they're doing a great job, and our art teachers do does a great job. If you've ever walked through the building and seen some of the artwork they've done, it's just been fun. It's really been good. Continue to pray for our school. Continue to pray for the board. I'm chairing it, so they need a lot of prayer, and so do I. So thank you, and uh, all good. By the way, one last thing on the school. We got a letter from one of our, I don't have it with me, but uh, one of our legislators congratulating our school for being in the top nationally 5,000 uh, schools quality uh, education. So we got a little kudo in the mail public, and it's on the website if you want to see it. So now, back to attention. Hebrews chapter seven, uh, 6. Last time we looked at, what's that? Sir? You were talking about the school. Um, I was. Can I just bring up one small thing? I don't know. No, you can't bring that up. No. The girls' no. varsity basketball team at Harmony did not win the state championship. Oh. The tournament championship, but in their league for the first time, I think in five or seven Yay. years, they won the Spirit Award, which is voted on by their league coaches. Huh. So kudos to them. Kudos. Weren't you on the team? Christian Didn't I see you playing basketball? Christian Spirit Award. Christian Spirit Award. voted on by the coaches of the other teams. So. I think that's more important than winning, don't you? I do. I really do. That's the one time I'm glad you ignored me telling you no. You and I are going to talk later. To, no. Actually, we are this week, I think. So. All right. You know what? Uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm sorry if I've disorientated everybody. I always like to fracture the English language. Disorientated. No such word. Let's pray together. We acknowledge it's true, God. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to know. To stand on his promise and to know, thus saith the Lord. I'm going to go on record, and I think I'm speaking for other people in the room, that we who know you, Jesus, personally, we sang a song about standing in your love and therefore having no fear, but I think quite a few of us have our knees knock once in a while. Fear is a besetting issue, and it's why literally hundreds of times you tell your people, do not fear. Lord, we need help. And some of the, the passage we're looking at today speaks into this very issue of our fear. And we all have it. And uh, we all face things that make us scratch our heads. We all are living in a, a culture that is getting more and more confusing and chaotic. More and more, in spite of uh, the supposed no hate anywhere, we're more judgmental than ever. We need your help. And we need your courage that comes from your spirit to stand firm in the light of opposition, whatever might come our way and make sure we're walking in the spirit and walking and standing in your love so that fear is defeated, not necessarily eradicated, because courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the choice to overcome it. Would you grant us that? Grant illumination this morning, grant the working of your spirit. We, we rely on you as we worship you and thank you for the blood of Jesus today. Nothing but the blood can wash away our sin. 
And I remember uh, pondering as I was looking through some of our fellow preachers like Tim Keller talking about sin, our ultimate issue socially, morally, in every way we have problems is really that. It's not a DNA distortion, it's sin. And what can wash it away? What can give me victory over it? The blood of Jesus, our Savior. So in his name, we're asking for help today and we're asking for your spirit to enable us Enable me to communicate that which would pour some life into your saints, God. And if they're not aware that that's who they are, (laughs) help them know today that we who trust you, Jesus, are your saints. Literally called your holy ones. Help us, we pray. Illumine our minds. Encourage us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said... Amen. Hebrews chapter 6. Last time I preached on the first three verses, it said, let's move on from the elementary ABCs of the gospel that comes out of the Old Testament as well as is reaffirmed in the New Testament. And verse 3 said, and this we shall do if God permits, as he enables us and helps us, we can move on to the next section. And here's where it gets ugly. And it does. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame." For the ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. The word of the Lord. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Yeah, Instead of amen or thanks be to God, I hear, well, uh-oh. Right? In fact, what's fascinating about this particular um, passage, where did my notes go? It's bad to preach without notes, at least for me. I'm not Tim Strait. He he, uh, preaches without notes. This whole paragraph actually in the original text starts this way. It is impossible, and then it goes through. It's impossible. Impossible. Like this sermon, it's impossible. It's hard. And uh, there's no way that I'm going to be able to unpack it all in one week. And big questions that jump out at us immediately. What does some of this mean? Who are those who experience this thing? Who are they? Because when we get to the end and it says it gets burned, we immediately jump in our minds to fire and brimstone, right? And so... We're hoping that those people with all those amazing descriptions aren't really Christians, because that might be us. And then at the end, it says something about burn. So, yikes. And the other question you might throw in on the sidebar is, what does it mean to crucify the Son of God again? So, on those easy things, let me give you three answers and we can all go home, because we're all tired. After all, we got cheated out of an hour's sleep last night. Okay, here's the answers. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave you hanging. No, I'm going to. Here's the big questions, things that come to my mind. I remember uh, just humorously, 
There used to be a magazine called Leadership. I don't know if it's still going out. It was produced by Christianity Today. It was an offshoot. And they had great uh, religious cartoons in it, you know, comics. And there was a preacher standing in front of his mirror practicing Annunciation, and he was saying, Barimstone. Because if you say it right, you get results, you know what I mean? At least that's what we heard from uh, the history of the church as George Whitfield was one of the Calvinistic evangelists. I'm going to come back to that later. Now that everyone's like, oh man, where are we going today? That's what I'm wondering. One of the preachers in the early colonies who won many, many thousands of people to faith, they said that his mere pronunciation of Mesopotamia could bring people to tears. (laughs) But obviously, my pronunciation of Barimstone didn't do that. What? (laughs) But this morning, what I want to do is provoke a bunch of thinking. Oh, I know, that's a lost art today. But I would like to provoke some thinking because at least five subjects were immediately evoked in my thinking as I pondered it. And so if you have your um, notes and you like to keep notes, I'm going to fill you in on what the subjects are. And then you'll see down at the bottom, the verses examined will unpack each one of those things. But I'm not going to get there today. I'm kind of prophesying because I know me. We probably won't get there today because I already know people like Teddy are going to interrupt me and ask questions. And this is a good time to... You, out. And uh, this is a good time to do that. And if you're in church for the first time today and have never been in an assembly where people ask questions and we answer, I personally believe that the early church when they met did not look like this. Probably didn't have chairs to sit on often. They had to make do. They had to sneak away half the time. You talk about sleep deprivation. They were meeting in the middle of the night because people who were slaves couldn't get free unless they snuck out on their sleeping hours. And they would gather, particularly in Rome, and this congregation is probably a Roman congregation, the book of Hebrews, and they would worship together. And I can guarantee you when someone was unpacking the word, if they had questions, they were getting their questions answered. And Christianity grew like gangbusters and ultimately won over the Roman Empire. Which is quite relevant for us today, I think. Because the entire book of Hebrews is written to some people who have become Christians out of the Jewish community that have not faced severe persecution. They have faced some. And some of them are feeling fear. Can you imagine? And because of that, and wouldn't you? You know, when, when, when uh, I'm sorry, Tim, I can't help but pick on you. You know, that, that's what I pay him for so I can pick on. I'm kidding. When I, when I think of how many things, and we've all talked about this when we preach, how we get aggravated about certain things, you know, and it's like we remind ourselves, first world problem, first world problem. Having been raised on some of those things that I've mentioned before, Uh, Tortured for Christ, uh, Richard Wormbrand, some of the other saints, what's going on around the world today, a really bad day doesn't look like our bad day. And they were facing some of that, and fear was gripping some hearts. And 
the author is trying to encourage them to stand firm. And the main theme is to stand firm. I'm just going to be blunt. This is what it's saying, even to the point of death. Just like the Lord Jesus did, he's encouraging us to stand in the same way. Here's some of the things that were evoked in my mind. One, the Bible and, anybody want to guess what the H is? Humility. Humility. There's a reason I'm saying this. Peter is uh, at one point writing, and he's referencing his fellow apostle, Paul. You've all heard of him. Paul had written numbers of New Testament letters, as we know, and Peter is referring, in the verse I'm about to show you, to Paul's writings. And here's what he says. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. Anybody ever encounter a place in scripture that's hard to understand? Like the one we're in today. (laughs) Oh my. Which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Yikes. In other words, sometimes we get a hold of something and we get it wrong and we run with it and it causes all kinds of complication. The reason I'm mentioning this then is scripture, the Bible, and humility is because we need to approach the word humbly under the authority of the scripture. We're not in charge. God is in charge. And sometimes he says things that might be hard to understand, but that doesn't make it not true. As I heard a comment in some circles that I move in, I'm not sure that the Old Testament's true. I just don't know about that. Well, nice for you. However, it is in fact the word of God. And if I approach God with humility and his word with humility, it in fact helps keep me on a more even keel and a safer plane. Listen, when we look at a passage like this, let me just say it. Exegetes disagree. Good exegete. You know what an exegete is? People who study scripture and unpack what the word says. Go back to the Greek. Go back and unpack what it means. And they disagree. Apparently, last week I said something. I'm going to pick on somebody. Uh, no, in a good way. Ma'am. This section on Hebrews, right. Yes, great question. Thank you for clarifying. And other sections like this, I'm going to reference one in a minute. The point I made was last week I apparently said, you need to understand there are different views on some of what I'm preaching. Not everybody in the Christian community agrees on everything. Have you ever noticed that? And some of the reason that they don't is because even those who know their Bibles and exegete, there are passages of Scripture that are just plain hard to figure out. This one is one of them. I can't tell you how many times when I've read through, because I go through the Bible regularly, I get to Hebrews chapter 6. Oy, here it is again. And I used to say when I would read it, I'd go, yeah, someday I'm going to go dig into that and find out what that means. Next page. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? <laughs> I can't deal with that right now, right? <laughs> I can't. I got, you know, Batman. I can't deal with that right now. Anyway. 
Exegetes disagree. However, I have the answer. No. <laughs> what I said last week is somebody may disagree, and they may have a better argument than me. Can I just be blunt? I, I've heard that there is a, a belief system, or I'm going to call it what it is, a superstition that says if you're in a church, whatever your pastor says is the authoritative word of God no matter what. What are you groaning about? I like that. <laughs> Obviously, that's not true. Insofar as I'm accurately communicating what the Scripture teaches, then it is the authoritative word of God to us, right? In fact, interesting, if you have your Bible open and you go down to that verse that says, uh, they've tasted the word of God, they've tasted the good word of God, the word of God there is not logos, it's rhema which has to do with what is spoken to us. You know, um, synonyms are usually like word, the word word, logos, and rhema are both the word word, but they have different nuances. Here's the word. I have the word, the logos of God. When the Spirit prophesies to me, it's a rhema, something that is specific for my application. There's an overlap but there's something specific. When the word is accurately imparted, it becomes authoritative to us. Have you ever had a spirit, uh, have the Holy Spirit quicken a passage of Scripture to you? You know what I'm saying. I'm wondering, what do I do about this? And the Spirit goes, and that verse comes alive, and you go, oh my, that's rhema, the Spirit speaking into your life. Specifically, taking the truth of the word and driving it home. So when that happens, we're right. But when it comes to questionable things, and by the way, there are passages of scriptures that people disagree on, it's right and humble for people even proclaiming from the pulpit to say, now this is how I read this. Okay? It's not a, lot, it's not a deal, what's the word, breaker? You don't have to agree with me on this. I won't throw you out of the church if you don't have the same interpretation on Hebrews 6 that I have. I will make fun of you forever, but I will not throw you out of the church. No, just kidding. You get what I'm saying. Humility under the word. Exegeting versus superstition. There's a principle that helps us, by the way, when we look at a passage like this. When you're interpreting Scripture, famous thing, you should lock it away. Scripture helps interpret Scripture. You don't take an isolated text that's hard to understand, like this one, and make a whole doctrine on it without paying attention to what else is written in the Bible about that. And that's why we have different views and what have you, but there's an awful lot of overlap. And that's why... In a minute, I'm going to get to the next point, number two, which is grace and theology, for those of you who take notes. First one is Bible and humility. The next one is grace and theology. I want to talk about that in a second. There was a time, and I'm going to opine for just a moment, because I feel like we're losing our our foundations, I guess. Um, The school that I graduated from, which was a very good solid, orthodox, evangelical, Bible-training place has since the time that I graduated, which I know is ancient history, 1976 is when I got my master's. That's, yeah, don't do math. Stop the math right now. Yes, I'm already old. I know that. Since then, has slid into 
kind of a therapeutic counseling mode. That's all that matters. We've lost track of what was necessary in the church. There was a time when people understood that solidly understanding the truth of the word, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, that it was important that I knew that and I knew how to apply that in my life. Whereas today, it's more about having hacks and quick fixes and what have you instead of getting deeply rooted. And so I'm just opining that I feel sad because so much of the church has slid toward that. And uh, finding people who actually invest time exegeting scripture is becoming a thing of the past, which the jury's out. We'll see what happens when we get to heaven and what Jesus thinks of it. But if I look at the church overall in America, we're looking kind of weak. And we haven't been gaining turf. We've been trading people around to different churches, but we're not gaining lots of people into the kingdom like they are in Africa and South America and even China and uh, other places in Asia. Amazing. Next line. I've not, I'm done opining. I still can't get a slot in the newspaper, but okay. Grace and theology. What do I mean? Everybody knows this. You should have this one memorized. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Everybody, ready? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Everybody agree? By grace you have been saved. So... How do you stay saved? Oh, how do you know? How do we do this? By grace you have been saved. Everybody agrees. Now, for some who are newer in the faith, you don't have to write all this down. It's going to get a little bit nutty right now. Okay, We're going to talk about two big theological disagreements. You've heard of it. Calvinism, Arminianism. If you haven't heard about it, you don't need to take notes right now. Don't worry. But I do want you to be aware of something. Both of, this, both of these views came from theologians in the time of the Reformation. John Calvin was a great spiritual leader in the city of Geneva and uh, had a little experiment going of what a Christian culture would be like, which is always a mistake, including today, because it ends up becoming repressive or whatever. But... He had a theological construct, and he put together the institutes of the Christian religion, which, by the way, were so impactful historically, you, some of you never heard of it. It's kind of a sad thing. It's kind of a loss. If you were to go to St. John's in Annapolis, which is a... What kind of school are we talking about? No, 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 no. Annapolis is the... What kind of school were we talking about? Uh, tradition, not tradition. Classical, thank you. This is what happens when they change the time on me. Can't pull it up. Classical education, which means, just so you're aware, when you go to class at St. John's, you read all the original writers. Immanuel Kant, Freud, Calvin. The institutes of the Christian religion are read in those schools, whether they're Christians or not. It's something that impacted our history, and so they know it. If you drive up to New Paltz and go down Huguenot Street, it's all over that. 
they don't understand what they're talking about in their little, uh, you know, uh, museum things, but it's all about this subject that Christians actually fought over, unfortunately. And what it, the difference is, is that one view emphasizes heavily the sovereignty of God and the work of salvation, and the other one heavily emphasizes human will. And people fall into the mistake of making caricatures of both. We think we know what we're talking about, but usually two sentences into the conversation, it's obvious that we don't have a clue what we're talking about. I want to show you a Venn diagram if I can. Let me, let, and I'll, I'll unpack this a little. This actually, I did badly. It should have been further apart so that there's only a little overlap in the middle. And what you have is people who, who believe Calvinism or Arminianism, and by the way, it represents large portions of denominations today. Uh, United Methodists, for example, Lutherans and some others are usually largely Arminian. Baptists have been split down the middle. And, uh, and so I'm not telling you anything else. I'm gonna say. Anyway, what happens is you have these caricatures way out on the extremes, and so people make statements like, let me give examples. Well, if you're a Calvinist, you're anti-evangelism. You couldn't say something more stupid, but people say that all the time, all the time. Or they say, oh, well, if you're a Calvinist, you don't believe that human beings have free will. Just replay the tape. <laughs> Same thing, also wrong. The opposite, you know, uh, insults, that you have to be saved every time you stumble. You know, I got up this morning, stubbed my toe, a bad word came out. I got to go back. I'm wondering how you work that out. You come back to church, get baptized again. I mean, how do you do all that? You have an, you'd have an, can you imagine if you have an endless, you know, just get in the queue, go through the baptism tank, come out. And just, that's what you'd be doing all the time. Well, great minds are thinking about this, right, Larry? We were, we were talking the other day. We are thinking. People do think about it. But what happens is we've got these crazy um, caricatures rather than dealing with Reality. Let me say that if I'm a healthy, can I put it that way? If I'm a healthy biblical Arminian or if I'm a healthy biblical Calvinist, it looks more like this next picture. Ah, aha. Far more agreement, far more parallelism, much more overlap. Uh, thank you for that little thing. I forgot mine. So in the middle, you have solid biblical thinking and biblical Christianity. And yes, there are those people out on the outer peripheries that have these weird ideas, you know, kind of odd ideas, calling names at each other. A healthy Arminian does not believe you have to keep the baptistry full all the time. Does not. Doesn't believe he has to keep getting saved over and over and over again. But that's some of the thinking that comes in. I know I've lost some of us that are newer in the, in the faith on this, but the reason I'm putting it out is because it comes out in this text in terms of what happens to this person who cannot be renewed to repentance and what is it in fact talking about. And that's what we want to get at. Next one, judgment and discipline. It should be clear that there is some... For, oh, by the way, I skipped. I went ahead too fast. I have one more Venn diagram. I love Venn diagrams, by the way. It's, 
So you have to love them too. How do you like that one? Isn't that cool? It's not up there to be cool. The reason I have that up there is take each one of the different colors and, and, and think of that as a different denomination. One of the arguments you get all the time when you're trying to witness, how come there's so many different denominations, right? Why do they all, they all disagree and they fight over it? No, they don't all disagree and fight over everything. They fight over some stupid things and they get in trouble because of that. But the reason I put that up, if you put your little dot in the middle there, thank you, Ryan. Look at the big, I would have, you wouldn't have been able to see it if I tried to make that center section as big as it should be. Because all denominations, if they're, and this is important, if they're still confessing that they believe this book, that's the question. If they believe this book, that makes them orthodox. There's a tremendous amount of agreement. Everything that we, when, when we stand up and we recite the Apostles' Creed, for example, everybody affirms that. We believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. We believe in his son Jesus. We believe the word of God is, is inspired scripture for us to submit to. We believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in... Uh, life eternal through faith in Christ, on and on. All of those things, all the denominations will agree with. The separation is over small, minor things. As people began to grow after the Reformation, they'd look in the Scripture and they would see something as extremely important, and so they would make that a fundamental thing or practice in their church, and so they split from other churches. That's how it happened. But it's not because they don't agree on the fundamentals of the gospel. So whenever I get that argument, oh, everybody fights and disagrees. Yeah, unfortunately, people behave poorly, and there's been all kinds of mistakes. But not every decision to start new denominations was a mistake, per se. And they're all still part of the whole big kingdom group. Those are my brothers and sisters. The reason I'm saying this is we ought to be careful how we talk about them. Ow. So you knew eventually I'd say something useful this morning, right? We should be careful about how we talk about them. Those who are in the kingdom, and they really are confessing believers, whatever their denominational stripe, they belong to him. Okay? Grace, Bible, and humility coming to the scripture with a certain amount of teachability and understanding we can't ever know everything. Two, grace and theology. God's grace is work. By grace you have been saved through faith. And Calvinism and Arminianism, even though they're not something you need to stress over at all, just be aware, they all agree we get saved the same way. And if we're healthy on either one of those, we believe in trust in Christ, we believe in evangelism, we believe people need to come to know him, we do all of that together. And now thirdly, judgment and discipline. I want to put a verse up that I had to fly through last week. In fact, I'm not even sure it got up last time. Out of Daniel. Many of those who sleep in the dust. Remember our foundations from chapter 6, the first few verses, are talking out of the Old Testament. And here's a proof of it. Expectation about resurrection and judgment. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. This is the hard stuff of Christianity, stuff we don't like to think about. 
Did you know that Jesus taught in John chapter 5, if you take the time to read it, he said, there's a time coming when those who are in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. They will come to life. And Jesus makes it very clear. We don't all, you know, all good, all dogs go to heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. Some to the resurrection of life, some to the resurrection of judgment. Did you know that every one of us was destined for life? Every one of us. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he secured that absolute reality for all humanity. This is why C.S. Lewis said, every human being is either an everlasting glory or an everlasting nightmare. It's eternal. This is why we preach the gospel. This is why it, it matters to us in this coming year that we pray for one or 100. I got somebody here that's praying for 100. Pray, because eternity is hanging in the balance. Daniel is clear. There's a resurrection of the just and the unjust. There's good and there's evil. There is a heaven and a hell. Believers find tons of exhortation in the scripture on our behalf. If you, um, if you have your Bible open still, which I was hoping you might, chapter 6, verses 9 and 11 speak into the life of the church here in, that he's speaking to in Rome. Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany what? Salvation, though we are speaking in this way. In other words, I'm giving you intense exhortations here. Challenging, hard to understand, kind of scary challenge, and yet we are convinced of better things. Down in verse 11, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience do what? Inherit the promises. There are tons of exhortations in the scripture, warning about judgment, heaven and hell, what have you. But for the believer, it's not that. I have, because um, I know you're all tense right now, I have something to lighten it up just a little bit. Uh, Gary Larson, the greatest artist of all time, says at the top one, welcome to heaven, here's your harp. Down below it says, welcome to hell, here's your accordion. I don't know, I have to ask the worship team about that, whether... Would that be actually be? Actually, it is more serious than that, okay? It really is. But the believer is encouraged and, and exhorted for his own sake, escaping a hardship because there's a difference between judgment and discipline. That would be judgment. And there are tons of exhortations and, and preaching. You know, Jesus' words when he comes on the scene, repent and believe the gospel because it is a matter of eternal life. But when we're speaking to believers, it has more to do with discipline. Discipline in the scripture is our training, but it can also include some spanking. Okay? And maybe, if we're 
careful as we unpack this passage, we will see that that's what the author is talking about. The severity of one of the worst kind of spankings that can happen. You know that the warnings in Scripture, even from Jesus, the next line, if you want to fill it in, Christians and warnings, quite relevant. Here's some words, for example. This this brings me back to the humility under the word. Do we understand all of this? No. Sometimes we're struggling with what exactly does this mean. Here's one example out of the mouth of Jesus, right? Matthew chapter 10. Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father in heaven. Whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. What does that mean? Right? Doesn't that make you nervous? Yeah. When I read that, I get nervous. I go, hmm, what does that mean? Or what does it mean when it uh, says in, in the book of John, um, there's a sin that's unto death. I didn't say you should pray about that. There's no sense in praying for it. There's a sin that's unto death. There's a sin that's not unto death. You can pray for that. What is that talking about? What is, what is Paul talking about when he says, I've decided that this guy who's living such an ungodly life, I'm delivering him over to Satan for the destruction of his, fa- of his flesh so that his spirit may be preserved. What does that mean? See how easy it is to understand the scriptures? You get, you, I think you're getting my drift. I'm trying to make you as confused as possible today. I'm succeeding, right? How do we navigate our way through some of this? All right. So I know you're like in great tension. Well, give us an answer. No, you go home and study. What does Jesus mean when he gives those stories of the the, the servants who are faithful or unfaithful. He says to the last one, you worthless slave, throw him out. Does it mean that the Christian who sits in church just picks his nose his whole life, you know, is tossed into hell? Is that what it's saying? I don't know. What does it mean? What about the soils, the talents, etc.? You get, there's all these warnings and it doesn't always make it crystal clear. When you read about Jesus and the soils, have you ever tried to figure out which one are saved and which one aren't? Haven't you? Yeah. I have. Which one's which? The whole book of Hebrews is written to encourage these brothers and sisters to stand firm in spite of opposition and persecution. Chapter 3. If you have your, your Bible still open, Hebrews chapter 3 12 through 13 says, Take care, brethren, that there not be, we already passed this section, by the way, in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need, don't refuse him who is speaking, he says in another place. Can I push the boundary and get to a point, can I dare say it, of no return? That's the question. Now, do Christians get spanked? You bet they do. You're really his child? You're living in the wrong place. You're probably not a happy camper. Because God has a way of, right? 
There's some torment inside, maybe something outside, I don't know. But God has a way of dealing with his real children. Remember one time we were on a bike trip. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. We were riding up in the Helderberg Mountains outside of Albany. And uh, there was a young lady from our church who, Christian family, was a little bit snippy, a little bit uh, smarty pants, and uh, she was talking to her friend and really saying some kind of blasphemous, smart aleck things about God. And then she went, (laughs) I'll probably get struck by lightning. And that night she did get struck by lightning. Literally, literally, that night in the campground, lightning struck a tree, went through the roots, the shock, bam, and she was in the tent that got zapparoonied. Now, that was a complete coincidence, I'm sure. No, God has ways to get his attention, people's attention, right? Because he loves us, and he's trying to move us back where we ought to be. I have another uh, lighthearted thing here with uh, God up at his computer. He's ready to hit the smite button there. He's got guys walking under a piano. and (laughs) I thought it was funny, but anyway, sorry about the rest of you. What is it talking about? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump down just to bring some relief to the tension here. Can I do that? Covenants and mercy was the last fill-in. God wants us to know that he's given promises and he cannot change his mind. And I'm going to go on record. Uh, people talk about, and that's what I didn't unpack clearly, you know, once saved, always saved versus uh, conditional security. And I believe in the perseverance of the saints We make statements like once saved, always saved, but we apply it to the wrong people, and that's why people are confused. Oh, that person prayed a prayer, and they've been living for Satan for 27 years, but I know he's going to make it to heaven. That's confusion. That's not biblical. By the way, we don't ultimately know. Who knows? Only God knows who has really put their trust in God. And he's not looking for us to judge each other. The whole point of this book of Hebrews and this passage is for us to have a little bit of fear and humility and say, I want to make sure I stay on track. Have you ever processed, what would I do if they said, do you really believe that Jesus stuff? Because I'm going to pop you right now. What would you do? And if you copped out, is there no return? I don't think that's what this passage is saying. We'll take time to unpack it more. Next week, there is a strengthened conference and a strengthened message on Sunday morning Dr. Ashley and his wife are bringing to us. Can I recommend that uh, you make use of the means of grace that God has given us? You know what I've said about Humility under the word, walking in humility. I'm just going to be real blunt here. We had Gary and Melissa come to minister about sexuality, which is a huge issue in our culture, but it's also a huge issue in this room. And I'm going to tell you right up, I know what happened. Many of our people said, I don't need that. It's not relevant to me. And boy, you couldn't have been more wrong if you were riding a horse backwards on the... Racetrack. You totally blew it. You missed the means of grace. I'm encouraging you not to miss it again. Whenever God provides something good, if it's appropriate and you can make it, tap into the means of grace that God provides for you. 
Marks of the Christian will unpack at communion a week after. That's the first part. Those who have tasted of the heavenly gift and heard the sure word of prophecy and all of that. The second bullet is the similarity of both Old Testament and New Testament saints. There is a parallel between these people that he knows and knows their story and us. The children of Israel, when they came out of bondage, remember the Passover story? Great picture of salvation. They wander in the wilderness. Before they wandered, they went out of bondage. Some people wanted to go back to Egypt. God never let them. There's a parallel. Egypt was the picture of hell, the destruction, being under judgment. They escaped that. They were naughty, wanted to go back, but God didn't allow them to go back. He rescued Israel, and eventually, after 40 years of discipline in the wilderness, they made it. And we're talking about the same thing. God disciplines his people, and he'll bring them savingly home to glory if we've really acquired those marks of the true believer, that we've really put our trust in Christ. What on earth is this talking about then at the very end where it says it's ready for burning? Please read it carefully with me. If it yields thorns and thistles, verse 8, it is worthless and close to being burned. Uh, uh. Ah! Close to being what? Close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned, which in farming is remedial. You don't get rid of the land, right? It's remedial. He's talking about guarding ourselves from losing our reward, losing the blessing. Missing it. The ground that drinks up the rain, which often falls upon it, brings forth vegetation useful. Those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God, but if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless, close to being cursed, and ends up being burned. We immediately go to fire and brimstone. I don't think that's what it's referring to. It's referring to discipline, it's referring to remedial judgment. And there are those who can so renounce their faith that you cannot restore them because they've locked themselves into a place where God's going to have to discipline them and take them home. That's what the not not able to repent is talking about. You can always repent. Are Are you alive? You can repent. Right? What about the sin against the Holy Spirit? Anybody worried that they've committed the sin against the Holy Spirit? Because if you're worried about it, you didn't commit the sin against the Holy Spirit because you're worried about it. The sin against the Holy Spirit was the Pharisees saying, we don't care what you say. We don't care how many miracles you show me. We don't care how much proof there is that Jesus is the Lord and Savior. We're saying no. When you say no to the witness of the Holy Spirit trying to save you, you're doomed. There's no other... Is it making sense now? A little bit? No, you're not sinning against the Holy Spirit. Well, that's I wanted to answer that for you, because I know you were wondering. I, I read uh, some of the, the, uh, the study Bible that said that sin's not possible. No, it is. Is it? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a resistance of Jesus' position. You know, he's preaching the gospel, and they're, they're fighting with him in spite of all the evidence that he was the Son of God. They're still fighting with him. And that's when he warns them, 
It's not just about me, fellow Pharisee people. It's not about me. I, I am the Savior. You're fighting right now against the Holy Spirit who's telling you internally that I'm he, and you're still resisting. If you refuse to accept the Savior that Jesus provi- the, the Savior that God provided to the world, how do you get rescued? You see the point? It's a, it's a deliberate, stubborn unbelief. Let me speak some life for just a second, right? Because I know this has been quite the journey this morning, right? I've probably provoked 8,000 questions. Email them to me so I can rattle our cage next time. I've told you before, and I should have had the picture up here, that when, when Sherry and I were in England, we went to Oxford. And in Oxford, around the corner of a main plaza is Martyr's Mirror, uh, Martyr's Monument. So there's this monument because three Protestant reformers were burned at the stake for believing the gospel truth. Two of them, Ridley and Latimer, were burned initially uh, because they, they had believed what the gospel said and went against church dogma at the time, which was erroneous. Thomas Cranmer, when he was confronted, fell into what this warning was about. And he signed a renunciation. Now, you're facing death. Let's be honest here. Scary. Okay. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I've been too rash. Maybe I need to rethink this. And he signed his renunciation. And then, because he survived, the Holy Spirit started to deal with him. And he went, I can't do this. I need to be like Polycarp. Polycarp, 86 years, served the Lord Jesus. And when the Roman magistrate said, why don't you deny Jesus? I want to spare your life. You're a sweet old man. Everybody respects you. Why don't you respect your age? And he said, for 86 years, I've served the Lord. and He's never done me wrong. Why should I renounce him now? And they burned him at the stake. Became a model for the saints. Thomas Cranmer's processing that, and he goes, I blew it. I renounce my renunciation. And they, there it is. Right around the corner from there is the actual place. There's a break in the pavement where you can touch some of the cobblestones. And I went there, and I knelt down and put my hands on that spot and said, Lord, may I have that kind of grace. And so Thomas Cranmer was burned at the stake. But here's what's interesting. He was empowered by the Spirit, no question. And he said, the hand that offended needs to burn first. Stuck it in. Can you imagine? See, that's some of what's going on in this book of Hebrews. The true believer is secure and can always come back. And when we read a passage like this, we don't want to get confused and think, oh my goodness, is it possible that I've sinned in some way? We can never know. And what it's talking about is when God says, you've passed the point of no return, I'm done with you for now, and I've seen God discipline and take people home who belong to him, and it's a strange comfort to both us and their families that God showed his love for that person to say, enough, come home with me. Right? 
His love is everlasting, and his covenants cannot be broken, and he keeps his promises, and it is so sweet to trust in Jesus and just to take him at his word. We'll unpack it more next time. Send me your questions. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close in prayer today. I'm wondering, God, if maybe I said more than I should have. Some of the best learnings I've ever had were when I was left hanging, wondering, how do we sort that out? And so, Lord, what uh, I believe you're calling your people to is exactly what Hebrews challenges us, is to consider ourselves to make sure we're laying hold of the grace of God and not falling aside and not uh, assuming we've got all the answers and we've settled it and we've just got it made. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, to prove him over and over. And Lord, we need to be walking with you in such a way that we do prove you over and over. Your grace is sufficient. Lift up your people. Strengthen their inner man and woman today. We don't know what kind of days are ahead for us. Maybe similar to that of the Hebrews. Lord, I want to go out pleasing you. I want to live pleasing you. I pray for your help to do that, and I pray for your help for my brothers and sisters to do that. We ask, Father, for your blessing. We ask for protection. We ask for angelic intervention on our behalf and grace abundant working in our lives today. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Have a great day.